One of my most beloved sponsors has got to be Audible. I had an Audible account long before I thought about ever getting into podcasting. And Audible has an awesome gift for all of my listeners. And if you head over to audibletrial.com forward slash jryan, you're going to get a free audiobook on them and me. All you have to do is sign up for a free trial. And if you decide that Audible's not for you, and within 30 days, you can cancel. No harm, no file, you spend no money, and you get to keep that free audiobook. Audible has hundreds of thousands of books in their catalog read by world-renowned narrators. From New York Times bestsellers to the classics, they're all on Audible. So again, head on over to audibletrial.com forward slash jryan and pick up your free audiobook today. If you're listening to me, then I know you listen to other podcasts. Don't worry, I'm not mad that you're cheating. In fact, I'd cheat on me too. But I figured I'd take the time to tell you about one of my new favorite podcasts, and that's The Rancher. Austin over at The Rancher has a passion for history and an ear for a great story. And trust me when I say this, he's a heck of a lot more eloquent with his talking than I am. From rodeo to tales of the Old West, The Rancher brings Western traditions to a whole new generation of listeners. You can find The Rancher wherever you get podcasts today. I bet you didn't know we had a merch store. That's right, we actually have merch. If you head on over to the description, the notes of this episode, there will be a link there to the merch store, and you can head on over to the Mediocre Horseman store. From there, we have socks, we have hoodies, we have tanks, we have tees, and there's new designs coming out all the time. And the special this month is the Feral Appalachia shirt. 100% of the proceeds of that shirt are going to help feral horses in Appalachia. And 50% of everything else that's sold in the store is also going to go help feral horses in Appalachia through Feral Aaron as part of the Appalachia Legacy Initiative. So click the link in the description, head on over there, get something, help out some amazing horses, some amazing people, and uh, help me feed my horses, for crying out loud. You are listening to Behind the Horse's Eyes on the Illiterate Podcast Network. You didn't notice, did but um, he hadn't spoken yet. I was waiting for him to say something so everybody get excited. <laughs> there he is. You probably hey, recognize. We're live, everybody. <laughs> yeah, if you don't recognize that voice, it is not only one of my favorite uh, social. I almost called you an influencer. Do you consider yourself an influencer? I don't know what I consider myself. Uh, you know, I got all these kids that are running around the the camp program we're a part of here, and and they're always telling me, "Oh, you need to get on this, or you need to get on that." And, so that's how I found myself on uh, some of these social media platforms is just uh, kind of following where the kids send me and, and uh, little by little kind of get the hang of it. There we go, you know? Yeah. So if you haven't recognized that voice yet, that is Mr. Teddy Frankie. My, yep. um, the, the man when I am absolutely confused what people say or ask or I don't have an answer, I just tag immediately and go, help me, daddy. And, and then I go on to somebody else. There's some really awesome people out there on, uh, on TikTok, you know, and on some of these other platforms, man, it's such a cool period of time in history to be alive because there's been these, like these periods of time throughout history where like things are kind of right. And there's, there's um, not a lot of war going on in the world, or maybe there is, but it's kind of distant or whatever. And people get a chance to like really dig in and learn horsemanship just for the sake of learning horsemanship. So I think we're kind of like in one of those periods right now, but also um, we've got all these tools, right? We've got social media, we've got the internet, so we can share information. You know, here we're on opposite sides of the country and we can visit back and forth about different concepts and ideas and and just learn. Well, you know, we're on opposite sides of the country and, you know, I almost call you a friend these days. Um, Right. You know, and it's, it's, 
it's a great time for the industry too because you know let's face it the industry is usually 15 to 20 years behind in technology and marketing and everything else and and i hate to say it one of the positives that came out of the pandemic uh was that people got into things got out of their comfort zone and the western industry was one of those things a lot of people stepped in you know television shows like yellowstone captivated a lot of people and now post pandemic we're seeing um we're seeing the floodgates open you know everybody's wanting a piece of uh piece of the lifestyle piece of the uh the industry i'm here for it i'm not against it yeah absolutely you know it's there's always like the the guy who kind of sits out there and says well that's not the way we really do this or really do that and yeah there's truth to that i think but like you're saying you know anything that gets people involved in and when i say uh this industry understand i'm talking about a lot of different yeah. <laughs> industries within an industry but yeah it's, in a, general, it's an umbrella yeah in general the horse world we want to see people involved in that i want to see people involved in that um i've kind of spent a good chunk of my life trying to get more young people involved in that because uh, because I see it being important to them in ways they don't even understand. And uh, that's that's probably the biggest thing that I see is it's it's beneficial to the horses when people understand them well, but it's also very beneficial to the humans. Do you still get excited? You know, when I built a lesson program years ago, I emphasized kids. Yep. Um, and, and you know, and sometimes, you know, kids are like herding cats at times um absolutely they'll be on the page verbatim one day and the next day feel like you're retraining them that's just the nature of being a kid but i love teaching kids and i'm going to ask you this and you can agree or disagree is there nothing better in the world than watching it click in a kid's eyes when they they finally finally either learn to post or finally get to canter for the first time or for like me, when they make that approach to the first can, if they're taking barrel lessons and it's clean and their eyes are up and they're looking at their next target to move to, like to me, yeah. there's nothing better in the world. You see them light up and that smile, you don't get it anywhere else. I'm, I'm right with you on that. I think, uh, you know, these, these kids naturally gravitate towards animals. So animals in general are always going to be a go-to, but then when there's an animal that you can develop a partnership with, it's like a working partnership where you actually get to ride them. You get to, uh, you get to go places and, and do things on, on these animals. Like that's just, that's just really unique. The uh, horse human relationship is really a unique relationship. It has been throughout history and it's, it's, and we've used it all kinds of different ways. We've used it ranging from war to, uh, to therapy. I mean, it's just amazing how diverse that relationship can be, but man, well, what to, a cool kids. Yeah. Well, originally food, it was a food source. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, so, yeah. so let's dig in a little bit with you. What is your, what is your background? How did, how did Teddy find his way to the horse? Yeah. You know, it's, uh, um, without like telling you my whole life story, uh, the basics are I grew up in Alaska. I was, uh, I was born in, in Anchorage, Alaska and moved to Fairbanks shortly thereafter. And, um, my, my family going back generations have been involved with horses, but my dad was not. So it was pretty much my mom's side. And then on my dad's side, um, my, my grandma. So there, uh, were, were a lot of, I would say people who influenced me towards that early on, um, in my family, but then also a lot of outside people. And so, uh, growing up, my dad's job was, uh, to be a camp director. He ran a Christian kids camp. And so that's how I kind of got like tied in with that. But then, um, I probably, I was about 10 or 12 when that camp program started, uh, using horses in their program. And so that's when I really got kind of tied in there. Um, you know, just, uh, involved with the program, you know, at, at first a real basic level, just trail rides later on developing an arena program. And then as I kind of got up into, uh, you know, high school and, and things like that, there was a pretty good going horse program there in Alaska that I got to be a part of. And one of the neat things was, uh, there was a real, uh, drive amongst some of the staff to, to learn and to grow. And so they would bring up people, 
from all over the country to do clinics and do, you know, just learning events. And so I got to be exposed to a lot of different ideas and, and disciplines and concepts early on in my life, uh, which I was fascinated by it all. So I think a lot of people, uh, they pick something, they're like, I'm going to be at this in the horse industry and, you know, whatever their discipline of choice is. For me, I was like, I want to do a little bit of everything. And so got kind of headed down that track. And, and really at this point in my life, I've been, um, you know, I think I've had one job that was not horse related in my life. Um, since I, I left home, everything else has always been, uh, tied to, to horses in one way or another. And, um, so throughout that time though, it's been really a wide range of different things, uh, ranging from, you know, Western English horsemanship, packing and, and a harness and, and, uh, you know, kind of a variety of things within those disciplines as well. You know, you, when you said that, what you just said with Western English horsemanship, um, you always find that usually the people that uh, I always want to bring up the, the, like there's some sort of rivalry. Yeah. You know, and, and most horsemen, there's no rivalry. Uh, between English and Western, there's a little animosity, but as far as an outright rivalry, I've yeah. never really seen. And I live in an area that is, uh, you can't throw a rock without hitting a hundred thousand dollar warm blood. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I live in Aiken, South Carolina, and um, they're fascinated by us, and we're fascinated by them. And I always hear these, uh, and I hate to say it because I don't want to sound like uh, some old guy picking on the young crowd, but I always see and. I'm sure I was probably that way when I was younger too. Um, the, uh, the, the young hard charger always, uh, wanting to poke fun at someone who rides a dressage, <laughs> right. You know, and, and the whole time I'm going, that's literally the epitome of horsemanship. Yeah. Right. That's like, that is good training in some ways. Yeah. And, you know, and every discipline has like good and bad in it. Like there's, I can, I can pick any discipline apart and tell you, yeah, these are the things that, that I don't appreciate about the discipline, but then there's also these things which are really good. And yeah, I, I just think at some point you just, you throw your hands up and you say, you know, there's, there's elements of horsemanship in anything, uh, you know, especially if it's over a hundred years old or, you know, over a thousand years old. Uh, if people been doing it that long, there's probably something there that you want to learn. There's probably something you want to grab onto. So, uh, you know, for me, it was like, I, I want all of this stuff, you know, and so that kind of comes out. So, uh, you know, and in, in my thinking and in, in how I train, I borrow heavily from all over the place. And, you know, sometimes people will say, well, like, you know, where'd you get that idea or whatever? And it's like, well, you know, that came from just a different discipline or that came from harness or something like that, uh, you know, or, or, or packing or whatever, you know, because yeah. it's like there's different pieces, but it's all the same animal, you know, it's all the same animal regardless of, of how you approach it. Uh, and it's a ton of fun to, to kind of combine those things too, because then you develop a whole horse. Yeah. You know, and I see like where I'm at is very dominant, predominantly English sport. Um, yeah. And they start horses in a round corral just like we do. Yeah. You know, there there's they're working horses just like someone under a you know, a resist all would. Yep. You know, so I you know, I, I, that's one of the things that always just kind of irks me. I'm just like, you know, good horsemanship, quality horsemanship, quality training, no matter what the discipline is, yeah. worth his weight and gold, doesn't matter if they're wearing jeans or breeches. You know, something too, that comes to mind is, um, a lot of these disciplines are, are focused on the discipline and something that I've come to really value is, um, any, anything where the horse is used as the, the, for lack of a better word, the tool for the job. In other words, working horseback, um, your focus comes off of the horse and onto the job. And uh, in a lot of ways, your horse just becomes your partner to accomplish the job. And while there's some pitfalls to that, there's some, uh, there's some issues that can, can kind of arise out of that. Man, I'll tell you what, that does so much for your horse because they just learn to settle in and be a part of whatever you're doing. And especially if it's something that's randomized a little bit, they never know quite what to expect. So they just learn to wait on you and wait for yeah. your signal and, so those disciplines, especially, I appreciate, you know, the, working ranch type stuff. And the, yeah, the working ranch horses, those uh, those guys that do the, um, like, the extreme cowboy challenge 
Sure. Um, those things, freestyle dressage. Um, those those are impressive to me. But you yeah. kind of you do kind of lean more toward the vaquero type horsemanship, correct? Well, you know, uh, I mentioned that I, I grew up in Alaska, and um, there's a, honestly Alaska is a kind of its own unique horse culture, as, as any state is, or any kind of there's like these microcultures, right? And one of the things about Alaska is there's a fantastic summer riding season, but pretty much in the winter, everything grinds to a halt. And so a lot of times people are trying to like, it's, it's like, I guess, maybe, uh, um, if you were to, to think about a season just being condensed, uh, everybody's trying to get everything done as quickly as they can and spend as much time as they can horseback. And I think that's the case anywhere, but it just is, uh, it's extrapolate that up to Alaska where it's like your, your seasons are shorter in the summer, you got way more daylight in the winter, you got way less. And so I had to learn how to like get something done on a horse quickly. Uh, but then I also came from this school of thought that was like, um, I, I really liked paying attention to guys like, you know, Bill and Tom Dorrance, who uh, really kind of helped initiate some of the early changes in the uh, in uh, in horsemanship, I guess, in the U.S. And so they had that background. And while those guys, I don't know that they would consider themselves vaqueros or anything like that. They came from that California area where that type of horsemanship was prevalent. And so I was interested in that because uh, that came from that area. And and also my family comes from from that area. So, uh, so you know, probably, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago or so, I started uh, trying to understand that more and plug that into my horsemanship. And, and learn what it meant to ride a horse in a spade bit or ride a horse in a hackamore. And so now that's been something that I've chased for a while. They say 10 years and about 10,000 hours, you can kind of learn something. And I'm, I'd say I'm scratching that surface pretty hard now, I guess, and, and trying to dig into that still, but man, it's such a, such a big concept and, and, uh, but also really, really fun to learn. And, and a lot of crossover with other disciplines too. So. I wish I was scratching that 10,000 hour mark. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you just start with one and then you go from there, I guess. It's, um, you know, that, that, you know, you talk about Alaska having a short season. We plan on not doing a whole lot here in the summer. Because of heat or yeah, it's just well, yeah. you know, heat is one thing. You know, the guys in the southwest they kind of get away with it. Our relative humidity jumps up to like 87%. Yeah, that's brutal. Yeah, and it you know, it's 101, 102, 103, 87, 88, 89% humidity. Um, horses stop evaporating sweat. You stop evaporating sweat. The cooling process is shut down. You know, it yeah, it it is it is brutal. So we do very little in the summer. When I say very little, I mean, we, we avoid working in the summer like a plague. Yeah. I imagine it was right near a hundred degrees here today and, and it was kicking my butt. That's for sure. So you did a video a while back and it, it really, um, it really opened my eyes. I thought I knew about something and then all of a sudden you pop out with this video and it was, uh, it was a, um, I guess, I guess it wasn't a stitch, but it, you 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 kind of took off on a video that I had did about bits and bidding, and uh, you talked about the spade bit, and I honestly believe the spade bit is probably one of the most misunderstood tools um, in the Western arsenal. And yeah. the way the way you described the spade bit to me, um, a dummy like me could completely understand. And I, I want you, if you don't mind, to just go over that, how you mentioned how it, you, you can frame the horse and how it simulates collection. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people ask the, the question, why the spade bit when you could just ride bridleless? Because a lot of these spade bit horses, you could strip the bridle off them. In fact, we do sometimes strip the bridle off them, ride them bridleless. And uh, for a lot of people, the ultimate in their horsemanship is to ride bridleless. But there's more to that picture, and the balance is a big part of that. So in the um, 
in the dressage world, the concept of like a ring of muscle, I've heard it described a number of different ways, but there's this idea that, uh, that you support your horse through your contact and, um, and that kind of travels like through your body. So your, your frame or your structure supports the horse and then the horse supports you. And it's all done through this, this muscular circle, uh, that's kind of like a closed circuit. And, uh, what happens is when you get into a Western situation, especially a working situation, uh, you need your hands, you need to be able to, to rope, or you need to be able to operate a gate or you need to, whatever. There's all kinds of different reasons why you need one or maybe both hands. And so the idea with a bit like that is, uh, you can simulate that contact through the weight of the bit, the weight of the rein chains, the weight of, you know, your ramel reins, they've got all those knots on the ramel reins. And part of the reason for that is to balance the spade and more or less simulate that contact so that you can have a broken link in that chain and still get the same dressage type functionality out of your horse. So it really is a balance feature as much as anything, but that's just one part of the spade Another part is there's a built-in neutral and pre-signal. And so any, anybody who teaches horsemanship talks a lot about this concept of, of ask, tell, command, or, or phases of pressure. Like you, you start with a, a real light ask, however light you want your horse to be. You start with that, and then you progress, and there's all kinds of different philosophy in that. But the spade bit really provides that because there's like a, a series of movements within the bit that occur starting with really light movement, moving all the way up to relatively hard pressure. And so the horse gets several requests in a matter of just a split second, they get several requests and the horses that really key into that learn how to operate off of that request rather than having to resort to hard pressure. So that's why they talk about it being a signal bit because that signal occurs before you get to uh, leverage or, or any kind of hard pressure. So the horse has an opportunity to move off of, uh, you know, something that's, that's really light and insignificant, but also meaningful to the horse. You'll have to excuse me, my video just, I don't know what happened. All good. <clears throat> it it just flickered and died but we have audio so that's all that yeah matters. yeah we're good well you know i i think a lot of the confusion with a lot of these bits uh except with the excluding a handful that you know just as good as i do that are either a gimmicks or b they're poorly designed yeah um so excluding those i i think a lot of people have this idea in their brain that a, a bit with shank automatically means more break. Yeah. And, it's, and it's the fix for a horse that doesn't have good breaks. And I'm, I'm always been in the camp that that couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. That, well, it could be, it could be depending on your riding style and depending on, um, you know, like, like for example, if you're, if you're a person who you just haul back on the reins and that means stop and your horse knows that means stop. And the more of it, that you do, the more they stop, uh, then, then maybe that's, that's accurate, but there's, that's not horsemanship. Let's not confuse that with horsemanship. You may get a better stop for a while out of your horse, but eventually, um, you know, your horse is going to get pissed off at you. And, and it's, you know, things, even if things don't get sideways, you're, you're not going to get the best version of what that horse can be. No, I always look at it as a, there's a gap somewhere that if either you don't have the confidence in your horse's stop um, or if you've got to go bigger, longer uh, and, and really rank down on your horse's face and mouth to get your horse to stop um, something's got to give and it doesn't need to be a bigger bit. Yeah. And interestingly, the spade bit horse is built in the hackamore. So, you know, these horses learn how to operate off of, and when I say hackmore, I'm talking about a, a traditional hackmore. I know you know that, but maybe, 
not all your listeners understand the difference between a mechanical hackmore, which is a leverage device, mm-hmm. and a traditional hackmore using a Bozell and a Makati and, and a hanger and sometimes a Fiador. Uh, those are tools that are really incredibly light, like a horse can pull through them in a heartbeat. It, I mean, the equivalent would be using a halter although the halter doesn't have some of the nuance and some of the uh, subtlety and and signal that a hackamore has, Um, you know, so, so these horses are, are taught to be really light, but, you know, take the bit completely out of the picture. Um, I I see people make this mistake that you're talking about on the ground in that they, instead of like requesting that their horse move out of their space, they try and physically push the horse out of their space. And that's the exact same thing as, you know, trying to get a horse uh, to, to move by just putting pressure or force on the horse. You really have to get into your horse's mind and convince them that when, um, when they feel pressure from that bit or even a touch from that bit or hackamore or just your presence on the ground, that needs to be meaningful to them. And so that's really the job of the horseman is to convince the horse how meaningful that is. And, and I'll tell you, they'll tune up on that to where, you know, you can lay a, a rein on their neck or something like that, and they'll treat it like a hot piano wire. I mean, they don't want to have any part in that, not because you've abused them with it, but just because you've shown them that moving off of it produces results that they enjoy and not moving off of it produces results that they don't enjoy. Yeah. And when you're talking about a horse in your space, you don't know how many times I've gotten a call that somebody's horse won't load. And I know it's a good horse and I've seen the horse in trailers and I get there and I go, okay, well show me what the horse is doing. And they, they take the lead, they hop up in the trailer, they turn and face the horse and give a tug and basically asking their horse to run them over. And the horse just locks down at the trailer. Yeah. And I'm like, first off, get out of the way. <laughs> you know, you st- I, I take the same horse stand to the side point the horse into the trailer, maybe give a little nudge on the hindquarters, hop right on up there, go in right behind the horse, tie the horse off, close the panel. We're all good. And they're like, wow, how did you do that? Well, I didn't get in the way of the horse. It's surprising how, how little it takes to get something like that done when you know a few concepts, you know, things like, uh, like, trying to make it comfortable for the horse when they make a good decision. Um, you know, that's, that's a huge one. And, and if they get into a trailer and it's uncomfortable, why the heck would they want to be in the trailer? And, you know, and then to boot, you start whipping on them and hitting on them and stuff like that. Yes. And, and then all of a sudden the trailer is like a big, bad deal. I mean, I, I'm, I'll be the first to tell you there is a time to whip and hit on a horse. Uh, but it's pretty rare. And, you know, oftentimes, you got to kind of read each individual and that's where the feel piece comes in. You know, sometimes the right move is to be really quiet. Sometimes the right move is to be big and loud and you got to make those transitions really quick and you got to do them accurate. And so people get like, they kind of get flustered with that. They don't understand the timing of that or when or how. And I don't know if like, it's really a hard thing to teach. I always equate it to like, if I wanted to teach somebody to balance on a balance beam and I set them up there and told them, okay, I'm going to tell you to lean right and lean left. And you're going to have to balance on this balance beam, but do exactly what I say. And then they get up there and I try to like coach them through balancing on that balance beam. By the time I gave them instructions and their brain processed what needed to be done, it would be way too late. Like they'd, they'd fall off. Cause I, I wouldn't get the information to them fast enough. And that's really what uh, it's like, you know, teaching a young horse or, or really any horse that needs work is there's a, a certain degree where you just have to feel it yeah. and experience it and then process it a little bit, take some time to think about how could I uh, have done that a little different. So it would have worked a little bit better. And that's really what working a horse is like. It's, it's having that feel. No, you can, you, you know, and I hate to be that type of person, but you can judge a lot by a person um, just going to the sale barn and watching people load horses at the end of the night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And, you know, and that's, that brings up a whole, whole host of topics because you can learn a lot about 
uh, a person by the horse. You can learn a lot about, a per I mean, I, I have these kids out here, right? I teach them very specifically how to hand me a bridle because I always tell them, you know, you get out there and uh, you hand a bridle in a wad to somebody else. They're going to know right away who you are as a horseman, Yeah, you know, and, and anybody who like horsemen recognize other horsemen and it it's like the subtleties it's the ease of doing things even if you do things completely different and you have like a completely different program uh you know you recognize another horseman because there's an ease of of doing things and the horses respond and and it's done thoughtfully with the horse in mind and yeah you pick up on it you know yeah if i gotta unfold a bridle and untangle range we got to have a conversation <laughs> that's right yeah you you can hand it to me in one hand i'm okay if you've got the range over your wrist and the the band on the top of your hand and you just hand it over to me like that we can live yeah. with that i would rather reins and head stall but yeah yeah i mean there's a dozen ways to do the same thing and and there's i wouldn't say that there's a right or a wrong way there's certainly better ways and, and less effective ways but uh but there's certainly wrong ways to do things and, yeah, and, you know, and when it, you see that it's like okay <laughs> yeah the, when you see somebody out there they've got a long rope on a horse and they've got it through an eyelet through a tie off in the trailer and they're trying to uh, winch this horse on a trailer and then somebody's behind it just beat yeah them. and you're like yeah this is not gonna end well yep it's never gonna go well yeah anytime you're you're forcing it with a horse uh, you know, they're a big animal. They're capable of making decisions. Your job is to, to get them to make the right decision, not try to contain them. And ironically, one of the, uh, one of the biggest tools that you have at your disposal to, uh, to get a horse to make a good decision is liberty. Yeah. You know, if you can give them well-timed liberty, they'll seek that out. They'll look for it because they appreciate it, you know, and and, uh, you know, back to the bits a little bit, uh, one of the, the big keys to really any bit is giving a lot of liberty through the bit, but it has to be well-timed liberty, you know, especially on a young horse, they're trying to figure out how to balance a human on their back. And so often people go right to sawing on their face and bumping them down in the name of getting that horse round or soft or collected or whatever you want to call it. Um, and really what they're doing is they're taking the horse's head and neck away from them, which is one of their main tools for finding balance. And so they're, in essence, they're asking them to pack a, a load that may or may not be balanced without their balance tool. That's a lot of horses get uptight about that. And, you know, a lot of horses will start uh, having issues, supposedly horse issues, um, when really it's just uh it's just they're uncomfortable with the balance and the rider and and they're trying to sort that out while the rider's taking their ability to do that away from them. A little bit of liberty goes a long way in in letting them just relax and settle. I call it the uh <clears throat> the attack of the uh the 30 day syndrome. Well, yeah. <laughs> but you know, everybody everybody every, you know, they throw around and I, I talked about this with um Amanda Ray uh -huh. when I had her on. And uh and she laughed hard because she knew exactly what I was talking about is the, the, the term 30 days gets thrown around so much and people forget that. No, that's when we want to be paid again. Not, yeah. not, not when your horse should be finished and grandma <laughs> say, exactly right. yeah. you're going to bring that's... me a, you're going to bring me a 15 year old, you know, untouched. That was a pet. Yeah. You know, and you want it grandma safe in 30 days. No. Yeah, not how it goes. That's just potty training. You know, there's yeah. a lot more beyond that. You know, but a lot of people they have it in their head that they want to jump. And I saw and I hate and I hate to throw this lady under the bus because she is a hundred times more trainer than I will ever be. But I at Road to the Horse, I saw Brandy Lyons make that mistake. Oh. And it was uh and we were all sitting there and everybody in our group just gasped when we saw it. Is she went straight from a rope halter and put a snaffle in the horse's mouth because she thought she saw something that the horse was ready and that horse braced on that snaffle and it fought that bit through the entire competition and she was too far gone hmm. yeah it's i imagine in those competitions it's pretty uh 
pretty tough to backtrack mentally when you kind of have like a program. And I don't quite know how that goes. Uh, you know, uh, Wade Black competed in that, I think last year, and he's kind of a friend and, and uh, enjoyed visiting with him a little bit. And he has, you know, he can tell his own story on that, but interesting hearing a little bit about his pro his thought process going into that uh, competition, because the mental game, in those competitions has got to be super tough on, on the competitors because uh, as much as anything else, I think, you know, the horses are horses They're They just do what horses do. And that's, that's not so tough, but I could, I could totally sympathize with somebody getting out there, throwing a bit in a horse's mouth it not working, but because of the nature of the competition, you're stuck. You're stuck. You're like, yeah. do I, how do that's, I make this decision? That's what I was you saying. Know? I, I, I didn't want to throw her under the bus because what do you do? The horse was going along so great. And she felt like the snaffle was going to give her a leg up, you know, when the day come for them to run the uh, obstacle course, you know? Yeah. And, you know, she, the horse showed her some signs that, you know, Hey, I'm smart. I can do this. And all of a sudden the next day that horse was lost. Yeah. You know, they've got three days, except they don't have three full days. They, they've got the equivalent of, they've got, uh, I don't know, less than four hours really with these horses yeah. and they've got four or five hours and they're going to run an obstacle course. Yeah. Yeah. And, in and, uh, the mental, like I say, the mental component on that is as big as anything else, just, you know, figuring out your horse and, and whatnot. And then, and then you don't know, uh, you know, the personality of your horse, there's, there's going to be horses. I'm sure they're, they're trying to keep them fairly consistent with, you know, getting four sixes horses and yeah. similar breeding and so forth. But, uh, but you still got a, a pretty wide range of, of personalities that come in there and some horses are going to be, they're going to be up for it. You know, let's do this, let's do it quick and I can mentally handle it. But there's those quiet ones that kind of sit over there and, and uh, they just take, that amount of time to process and if you don't have you know if you don't have the ability to give it to them that uh that can make for a rough deal i'm not personally a uh like i don't consider myself to be a cult starter i have done that quite a bit but uh you know i love working with young horses and bringing them along and uh and if you if you can kind of figure out what time frame they're on and and set a schedule based on that it's a good thing. Like you can get a lot done in a short amount of time, especially if you, if you have in your mind what the process looks like and you've done enough of them that you know uh, how to major on the majors and minor on the minors. That's a, a really important piece. A lot of times people say, well, I haven't quite got this done. And they'd really focus in on that thing and really work to get that done. And you'd lose the horse's mind when in reality, if you just kind of let that thing go, uh, you'd pick it up later down the later, later on and the horse would be ready to go with it. You know, it's one of those things that it, for, for a cold starter, you've got to have a lot of tools in the toolbox. It's kind of a yeah. lot of been there, seen that done that type thing, because, um, as much as a lot of people don't like to admit it, um, each horse is going to be different. You're going to run across a, sometimes you'll get a string of horses and, and they're all going to be, um, you know, mentally kind of on the same page. And then yeah. every once in a while, you're going to get one or two um, that are just going to be dull in the, in the learning department. Yeah. Uh, they're not going to learn the same. And, you know, and, and I think that's where it makes or breaks a lot of cult starters is that those that have taken the time and have started a lot of horses they have all those tools and they can take on those horses that some people deem as problem horses you know and it's not much of a problem for them because oh well hey, i've seen that I, I know what he needs yeah i think by the time a person kind of gets around 100 horses under their belt they they start to have enough of a range of um like they've seen enough different personalities and things like that that they can kind of make a pretty good assessment like okay this is more than i want to chew on or this isn't but you know if you're somebody who's out there you've done you know five or ten horses you've started five or ten young horses and and kind of brought them along uh you'll still run into ones that are going to challenge you and that's awesome like don't give up on those but when you get 100 horses under your belt 
I think that's when it's a good time to start passing on horses, you know, because because uh, there's <laughs> there's a lot of ways to get hurt for one. And uh, and if you can recognize, OK, this horse is just a little more than I want to chew on. And that's that's where a lot of cult starters make the, the mistake, especially in their businesses, uh, is they try to take on everyone and they try to do something with everyone. I know that was something uh, Amanda Ray passed on a horse um, a while back, and she made some videos about that. And boy, a lot of people really kind of came down on her about that. And I was like, man, that's a good business decision. You know, that's a that's a smart business decision to do that because, um, first of all, if she gets hurt, you know, she's you know, if yeah. you're not, you're not making money, you're not making your living, so you can't afford to get hurt. Uh, but then also, there's so many other horses out there that and and Colt starters are in high demand, honestly, in most parts of the country, and they don't get paid near enough. So you no. can't afford to do those kinds of things. Well, I watched a, uh, I was, I was going through a thread. It was a Facebook group, and somebody asked, the, it was a BLM Mustang group, and somebody yeah. uh, was all in a tussy um, because they asked the, their person that they had sent horses to in the past that, hey, they were adopting a Mustang and wanted to know, uh, you know, at price and time frame, and they they passed on the horse, and uh, she just threw the person completely under the bus. You know, everybody's got this attitude. Oh, because it's a Mustang, and I, the whole time, like half half of the people are going, "No, it, it's just a smart business decision." He may not, you know, it, it takes a special person with some of those horses, depending on the age of the horse that you've got. It, it's not like uh, it's not like it was a pasture ornament and it's been gentled. Um, you know, if it's an ungentled horse and it's a feral horse, he might not have time to give the horse the attention that horse needs. You know, yeah. he's doing you a favor by saying, no, find someone else. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I haven't trained for the public in maybe two years at this point, and I get calls uh, several times a week asking for, you know, colt starting and things like that. And I I turn every one of them down now because, you know, I'm trying to ride my own horses and, and do that. And, and, um, you know, and it's interesting how people are so put out when you tell them, no, I'm not going to work with your horse. I, uh, you know, I try to, to refer people if I can, but honestly, I'm running out of referrals at this point. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's, <laughs> you know, that's a whole nother topic that I don't necessarily need to go into, but yeah, people are, are put out when you, uh, when you, you can't offer them a service that they want and they're put out by it. It's like, man, I don't know what to tell you, but I'm just, just being honest with you. I mean, yeah. You know. Yeah. Would you, would you rather me tell you something you want to hear that isn't accurate? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I had a, another trainer friend of mine. And I, you know, I don't really consider myself a trainer. Um, I've taken on some horses that have some problems or just needed some wet saddle pads and help round those horses out. Um, but I had a good friend of mine who is a great trainer. And she goes, listen, I don't have the time to deal with this horse, little gated horse, 15 years old and was a pet had never been saddled. It, it wasn't a, a pasture pet. And the lady had very low confidence that owned the horse and wanted a reliable trail horse. And my eyes hurt from rolling, but she goes, she goes, I think the horse might be fine. She goes, but somebody else needs to take this horse. And like a dummy, I said, yeah, bring it over. And uh, I had this horse uh, a little over a month and rode the horse almost every day. And then the lady calls and she goes, how much longer do you think it's going to take? And I said, how much longer do you think you got? I said, because either you or this horse is going to die before it's, uh, it's right. I said, I, I honestly, you know, and I, I told her and she didn't like it at first. And then she realized what I was saying. I said, if you're wanting a really good trail horse that you can just push button and set cruise and have an adult beverage and enjoy it with your friends, this is not going to be the horse for you. Yeah. And she ended up keeping that horse as a pet and buying another horse. And she could not be happier. And she thanks me every day for telling her that before she got hurt. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're speaking a story that is widely told by many, many people because it happens all over the place. And, and you're exactly right. You know, and this is, this would be my encouragement to a young person who's coming up or to somebody who's, uh, you know, older and they just want a, a good horse. And that is 
go through a number of horses like and and if you can't afford to do that try to ride other people's horses in fact i'd say for a young person coming up there's always like this desire to own your own horse man one of the best things you can do is go ride for somebody else and whether they pay you or not get on as many horses as you can get on and and just put the time in you know really you got to put that time in and then um you know and if you're you're not in that mode of life then be willing to kind of rotate through a few horses and find, uh, you know, find a good one. And if you're smart about it, you can, you know, probably not lose money in the situation, but uh, you know, if a horse is not working out for you, don't keep the horse. Don't tell yourself, well, it's going to work out good because it will get worse. That's always how it works is if you're not making the horse better, if you're not, if things are not improving and you're not being intentional about improving things, then what happens is you start making excuses, right? You start, well, today I can't get out and ride. Really, you don't want to ride, but you're not admitting that to yourself. No, yeah, you know, really, exactly. you don't want to swing that leg over. But if you find yourself in that situation, man, you got to you gotta let that one go. And, you know, and it's not. Yeah. That, yeah, that's kind of personal for me because when I had my TBI, there was uh, about a six or eight month period that I made every excuse in the world that ah, it's too hot. Ah, it's too cold. Uh, oh, it looks like a storm's coming today. So I don't think, you know, I'm going to fool with it. And all I was doing was lying to myself that I had lost my confidence in, in my mare and she had done nothing. It was a hundred percent my fault, you know, that I ended up the way I did, but yeah, I mean, that, that is, I see so many people do that. And the biggest mistake they make when they do that is uh, they just continue to lie to themselves and everyone else instead of just breaking down and telling someone who cares and who knows I've got a confidence problem and there's something wrong with my horse. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if, if horsemanship and riding and, and all that stuff is important to you, it's worth every penny that you spend on buying a good horse rather than buying a project. And it's also worth spending money on a, on a, good professional who can help you through that process yeah not not me well you know there's all kinds of people out there who who do that who are instructors and i guess i'm gonna i'm gonna get on my soapbox here but there's a difference between an instructor and a trainer Mm -hmm. and uh and people in the horse industry like to kind of confuse those terms but an instructor is somebody who teaches you as the rider and a trainer is somebody who trains the horse and you may need both uh, a lot of times what you need is the instructor and, uh, and that's going to help you get further, but sometimes you do need that trainer to kind of get you over the hump or tune your horse or, you know, some of those different things. See, I like the way you put that because it's always used like synonymous around here. Yeah. You got people trainers and horse trainers. So I like, I like the way you put that. Yeah. You know, I've, uh, I've probably spent most of my career as an instructor teaching, teaching horsemanship. And uh, I work uh, a fair amount through the Certified Horsemanship Association. So um, I'm one of their, uh, their certifiers and I also serve on that, the board for, for CHA. And I really see the benefit of teaching horsemanship to people because, you know, people are going to, you know, in, in their lifetime, they're going to be around a lot of different horses and the skills that they develop are going to transfer And so I really believe in trying to, you know, trying to teach people, especially young people. And we talked, you know, a little bit about teaching kids and the value in that. But if you can get a kid started early, you know, they potentially are going to affect, you know, numerous horses over their life, maybe not to a high level, but to some level. And they can really um, make the horse better for the next person if they have a good foundation there. Yeah. You know, if your kid has got a, this is kind of a PSA uh, coming from two guys that work with kids. If your kid's got an interest in horses and you can afford to jump out there and get that kid on a horse, get that kid on a horse. You bet. Yeah. You know, I've got, uh, I've got three kids and they all are fairly interested in horses, but my daughter's the oldest and uh, she got a mini when she was, Oh goodness i think we got for when she was three and he kind of lived in the front yard and i always joked everybody needs a yard pony and i mean that horse was satan incarnate let me tell you what i mean he fucked her off all over the place and she's out there in her snow pants you know so she just kind of bounces around but 
but <laughs> I saw her over there one time and that horse had just drug her across the lawn uh, by a lead rope and she stands up and just kicks him in the belly. <laughs> I knew right there. I was like, okay, she, she's going to be all right. You yeah. Know? And, uh, and those two punished each other, like you wouldn't believe. And, you know, and I know people would kind of look at me funny because I'd let her do stuff on that horse and they would, they would literally terrorize each other. And, and, uh, people, ah, oh, she's so hard on that horse. Oh, well, he's hard on her too. They're both hard on each other. Yeah. And honestly, she's become a pretty good horseman. And, and that horse is actually pretty nice too. They kind of wore it out of each other, but I'm convinced that you got to ruin one or two before you can really make a lot of them. Right. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, there's, I, I keep string horses, you know, and I have a lot of these lesson horses out here and they're saints. They put up with so much, you know, yanking and pulling and all the stuff that, that, um, that kids do as they learn. And, I see some of these like people responding on TikTok about like horse abuse. And it's like, man, if you could see what lesson kids do to horses, you would think that was abuse. But I'll tell you what these horses put up with that. And these kids get good by learning how to work around that and how not to do that. And then when they're good, they help a lot of horses out. So for me, it's kind of a, an ends, ends justifying the means thing a little bit. Um, although I don't totally buy into that notion. I think with these horses, it definitely plays out. Yeah. I had a, uh, well, I had, I still have her. She's, she's my pokey push button horse. Uh, if I just want to relax for the day and just ride, um, she was a rental horse. That was her. She's a little half Morgan, half small draft, something little pinto thing, dinner plate feet, like maybe 13 hands. Yeah. Stocky little thing, big Morgan head, thick Morgan neck. Um, when I got her, she was, you could just tell she was a rental horse. She was just dead inside. Yeah. And the, her mouth and her flank was just so desensitized. It was so hardened to just anything that you did to her. Yeah. And, uh, the only thing she knew was, I call it, uh, snoot the pooper is <laughs> to put her nose in the horse in front of her. Yep. <laughs> yep. Find yeah. a tail and fall asleep. That's, that's it. That's, that's all she did. And uh, I got her as a around 14 when I got her and uh, worked with her a little bit and realized that, uh, you know, she's just going to be a dull deadhead her entire life. And, you know, I I reached a point where I was just, you know, I was okay with that. She's quirky. Um, She's one of those that if she's in the arena by herself, uh, she's going to make you work for every ounce of ground that she has to cover. And I find her to be interesting to put with um, kids that are kind of jumping off of that, uh, um, you know, novice beginner level. Yeah. And I love putting them on her and making them have to make her do things. Yeah. She's she's not going to hurt them. She's too lazy to to crow hop or buck or anything like that. Uh, But you've got to work like you've got to be on top of her because she might just go, "Eh, I'm done and just walk to the gate yeah yeah absolutely yeah those are such cool horses like you know they are saints they just put up with so much but man uh talk about about being a teacher the horse is the teacher there you know and just developing a leg on a kid you know so they they can thump when they need to thump they've got some uh some wherewithal to get that done you know and my favorite uh, thing to laugh at is when you get these little girls in here that you know they weigh probably 45 50 pounds and they get on this big old horse that has had you know riders its whole life on them and and you say i need you to kick that horse hard i don't want to hurt the horse (laughs) child (laughs) she doesn't even know you're there no and you know and that's what i love about putting kids on this mare is you know they think they're kicking and really all they're doing is just flapping their little legs you know and i put them on something like my core which is a, a a good finished horse and then you know, they go to something like her and, and they think they're getting demoted because they're on her. And, and really what she's doing is teaching them a very important horsemanship lesson. That is not every horse you get on is going to be this highly refined light creature. You're yeah. going to get on some that are honestly just going to fight you for every, every footstep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then, you know, you get on and you tune them up a little bit and they maybe tune up some, but not totally. And, 
then you give them back and the kid notices the difference. They go, Oh wow, this is way better. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, that just shows you, you can get that out of the horse, but you're going to have to learn how to do that. And, you know, we'll, we'll teach you that. Yeah. She's, she's a broke horse. Now I, I would consider her a broke horse now. Um, yeah. She's a lot lighter. Um, I can neck rain from her now. I, yeah. She's not going to spin on her hawks or anything, you know, but when she come to me, she was a rideable horse and there's a distinct difference there. Um, I think the majority of people, uh, and I'm not picking on, you know, the weekend warriors out there. Uh, but the majority of people that are weekend warriors just have rideable horses. Um, yeah. they don't have broke horses and there, and there's nothing wrong with having a rideable horse. I, I'm not saying that, yep. you know, you, you know, I, I'm a big advocate that you should be the perpetual student and so should your horse. Um, but you know, most people just have a rideable horse. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really good thing. Most people need a rideable horse. You know, that fact, that's really a big part of what I'm trying to do in my program right now. In my, my training program, I should say, is I want to build horses that, uh, the way, the way I equate it is everybody thinks they want the Ferrari or, you know, something like that. And really what they need is the F-250. Yeah. And, uh, mine's you know, definitely and, an F-250. Yeah. And I've, I've kind of changed, I think there's probably people who train in the, you know, the top 10% of their discipline who, you know, they, they really need to like make that Ferrari. But for me, it's like most of my clients and most of the people that I want to sell horses to, uh, I want to sell a horse that they can turn out in the pen and a month later go out there and expect the horse to more or less do what it's supposed to do. And they can do a variety of things, all the things that they want to do horseback, you know, whether it's go to a branding or whether it's, you know, uh, go run barrels or, or ride, you know, carry flags in the rodeo or, you know, whatever, just, you know, or go jump something or who cares, just the same horse can do everything yeah. a little bit, you know? And, and that's one of the things I try to emphasize is that just because somebody says, Oh, you know, you have a rideable horse, it's not derogatory toward the horse. Yeah. Um, because most horses that are, are finished off horses, they're finished off in one thing and they're really, mm-hmm. really good at one thing, you know, yeah, a, a rideable horse it might do, you know, uh, a teenager's drill team one year and the next, you know, she's running 40 barrels and then, you know, she, she might be doing some breakaway roping or something like that, or might even on the weekends go over to a buddy's house, do a little ranch work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You bet. That's it's, you know, specializing there's, first of all, if you're going to choose a discipline and specialize in it and really focus in on that, uh, that's awesome. More power to you and, and, and go at it. But if you're going to do that, go to win and go to compete and and go to be in that top 10%. And, you know, and that's going to basically be your life. And if that's what you're passionate about, you should do that. But for the rest of us, you know, there's no reason that the same horse can't do all, all of the above. Uh, and, and maybe even uh, win a little bit in some of the, uh, and some of the things that they're a little more talented at yeah, or, or that the rider's more talented at. And that's awesome. You know, and that's, oh, yeah. that's what most people want. They just want to get out and enjoy their horse, you know? And, and uh, so I love that concept, whether it's with kids or whether it's with adults, uh, you know, do a bunch of stuff with your horse. They'll be better for it. And a big mistake before we, before we go, a big mistake I see people make too, is they've got a pocket full of money and they want to go buy that Ferrari when really all they needed was that F-250 and they try to turn a Ferrari into an F-250 and then they think they have a problem horse. Yeah. Yeah. It's super true. It happens. You know, people go out there and spend a lot of money and, and the truth is you still, you'd be better off to spend the money on yourself and, and buy some lessons and learn how to, how to build the horse the way you want. And along the way, that's a journey. So along the way you may get redirected or you may really choose to, to dial into that one thing that you want to chase my my daughter uh she has a horse coming at the end of august um and my farrier uh has a horse very similar uh uh, both of these horses are welsh and uh they were approaching six figures when they were five-year-olds um and for pony club of all things they were paying almost six figures and um when the kids were done with uh pony club they're uh they're just giving them away. And that's something. And, yeah, uh, I'm I'm always surprised at how much they pay for some of those those ponies. Pretty impressive, actually. Yeah, my you know, I I love the free ones and the cheap ones. Yeah. Yeah. And you can make pretty nice horses out of them. I like doing that from the uh 
the shoeing perspective, you know, you get a horse got a little navicular or something like that, and you rehab him, you get a nice horse that way. Yeah, I, you know, I had a mare. She completely she had sheared off a heel above the the vet. I told the people she needed a bunch of time off. She came here, sheared the same hill bub off, doing the same dumb thing, and uh, that stepping through a fence. And oh, yeah. uh, we rehabbed her a year, and uh, took took wire fences away, obviously. Yeah. But um, and she's a one D barrel horse. Yeah, fantastic, man. It's and great. a good and a and a good trail horse. You know, you can you can rope from her. You can do everything but shoot from her. I will not shoot a gun off of that horse. So, you shoot once off of her yeah so I, yeah i've hunted off that little trail uh rental horse we've hunted pigs from her and uh she's she's great rifle pistol doesn't matter i didn't even have to work with her on that she was just you know we, we shot once from a distance she flinched i walked a little closer shot to get to 22 and uh i finally got up on her and uh shot right next to her and she just kind of nuzzled me like you're gonna pet me or you're gonna stand there holding that <laughs> stick so finally I got on her back and I, I switched to a starter pistol that was a little louder, uh, flinched. That was it. Now, uh, we're killing hogs off of her with a 30, 30. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So I love it. Teddy, it was a pleasure having you on picking your brain and honestly, just hearing you talk about the things that you're passionate about, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my pleasure. Enjoyed uh, visiting and it's always fun to get on a podcast to get to do that every once in a while. And, been not toying with doing one so it's good for me to get on and you should do it little you would have a great show and i will run an ad for it if you do it you just gotta run an ad for me yeah sounds good we'll do a little switcheroo it's on the list and you know i'm actually kind of switching out of uh one one deal in life here and kind of transitioning to another so that's on the the list of stuff to do with uh, i have a business partner and he'd be one that you ought to get on at some point because man he's just a he is a phenomenal wealth of information and, and he's really a good spade bit kind of a guy too, and a good roper. And, and um, anyway, but he and I have talked about doing a podcast. Our business is live equestrian and we, we do a lot of online content. So. There you go. Well, where can, uh, where can everybody find that content? Uh, Liveequestrian.net is our website for that. I, I'm going to throw three websites at you actually. Uh, Liveequestrian.net is, uh, is where they can go for online stuff. So we kind of do like a challenge. We're working on a Hackamore course. It's all video based. We got, uh, Oh, probably about 10 hours of, uh, of video content on there. That's available in different capacities kind of through, through courses. And, uh, right now we're in the middle of a 30, uh, we call it a 30, 50 challenge. It's basically a 50, 50 day challenge to try to ride 30 days out of that 50 our whole goal with that and our motto is do a little, a lot with your horse. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I mean, that's the idea is like, get out there and do something every day with your horse. And you'll be surprised that, that you spend more than just a little bit of time with your horse, but that consistency is the key. And that's really what we try to reward through that program. Um, then the other one people can check out if they're interested in the, the horseshoe inside. And we didn't really talk about horseshoe, but, uh, I, um, own and operate a, a, um, farrier school and that's missionfarrierschool.com and we run a program here in Oregon that's that's basically geared for professional farriers uh, people who want to learn how to make their living shoeing horses Uh, we really focus a lot on the therapeutic side of uh, working with uh, with horses feet and uh, to some degree the traditional craftsmanship as well but you just gave me a great idea for an episode and have you back and um and that's just talking about hoof care and hoof health. Oh, I'd love it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I love talking about, you know, hoof care and, and uh, feet and all the, especially the biomechanics and then the horsemanship piece too. You know, I, I uh, didn't start out as a farrier. I was a horseman and I needed to keep my own horses sound. And that's how I got into uh, shoeing horses and then had some good mentors that have helped me along the way. And and uh, one of them kind of brought me into the, the educational side since I was already teaching horsemanship and as an instructor uh, brought me into teaching horseshoeing. And uh, so that's a journey that I'm kind of on right now and still continuing to pursue and, and grow in and, and learn a lot. In. And it's a whole nother world, of course. So that would be the other place. And then my own personal business is Frankie Equine. And uh, that's just FrankieEquine.org. People can learn more about 
you know, my background and things like that. So. Well, there you have it, people. Everything you ever wanted to know about the great Teddy Frankie. You know what? It's been an awesome chat, Ryan, and it's been really cool to get to listen to your podcast. I'm, I'm excited about your videos because I get one almost every day, if not every day. And uh, they always, they're like, I think your, your uh, videos are really the ones that kind of like start the conversation in a direction. And then every, like there's a whole host of people on uh, online that go a bunch of different directions off of your, your stuff. I know that's, I've kind of keyed into some of the stuff that you brought up. It's been really good uh, yeah. conversation starter. Yeah. You know, you're kind of, you're kind of keyholed into that three minutes. So I try to get, yeah. I try to get everything I can in, in three minutes and, you know, I don't consider myself a, a professional trainer or anything like that. I just try to approach things uh, the way I see them from a common sense perspective. And then, and that is my goal is to get other more knowledgeable people to add on to my first three minutes, you know, yeah uh and add to that conversation and elaborate for their audience or to add on to it or pick up something i missed because i am all about constructive criticism you will not hurt my feelings yeah well i'm the same way i like hearing other people's ideas and i think i think anybody who calls himself a horseman it's really a, about them growing not about the horses they train you know or, or work with or whatever if you want to be a horseman you got to be willing to develop yourself uh and develop your abilities with a horse and that that takes time, but it also takes getting your ego out of there. And there's this weird deal in the horse industry where every hand that you sit above the ground elevates your ego in another four inches. So uh, yeah. not sure why that is, but uh, we got to get past that. Uh, we got to do a little better. Thank, thank God I'm a professional pony squisher. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, you know, the, the ego, and, and we'll hop off, but, you know, the, the egos in our industry, really in our well really in the, the western and english side um the egos um make up probably 90 percent of the toxicity yeah yeah i think that's true it, it's nuts so teddy it's been a pleasure buddy i want to get you back we need to schedule that and um because we all know that hoof health is total health for the horse um and i think that will be I think, I, you know, I've had, I've toyed with that idea. I, I looked at having my farrier on, um, who's a great farrier, but his schedule never lines up with mine. And even though our schedules kind of bounce around everywhere, um, and considering that, you know, you basically have a farrier school, um, you might be the guy. Well, I'd love to come on and visit about it for sure. And, and especially the, the therapeutic side, it'd be really fun to talk about, you know, maybe, uh, maybe we could do a deal where we uh, talk a little bit about some specific pathologies, you know, some of the common ones like the uh, navicular type pathologies or laminitis or stuff that people see a lot. Uh, that would be real. Maybe it might be helpful to people, but it, it'd be an interesting conversation. Oh, if nothing else. oh yeah. And I'd love to, I'd love to get your, your thoughts on a horse like, uh, like Barbaro. Um, and such um sure. who you know had an injury got laminitis uh, in in the hind quarters and then because he put more weight on other feet ended up with laminitis and yeah uh and other areas in which it was put down and um i always try to explain what's going on and you can probably explain it better yeah that'd be a fun one to do by video too if we ever get a chance because i can bring some models on and stuff and we can we can look at different parts and pieces and how they function. There we go. That might know. be a good one to bring you on. I mean, you uh, throw that one on YouTube. There you go. Yeah. Um, I'd be all for it. Well, Teddy, it was a pleasure and uh, I'm sure we will be seeing you in the future, sir. Sounds good, Ryan. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. You have a good one. You too. Bye.